Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 19. Today's guest is Kyle George Jones. Kyle's the director of youth ministry for All Saints Lutheran Church in Arlington, Texas. And in today's show, Kyle and I seek to talk about how to teach the full gospel to kids. How do you explain a Christ-centered hermeneutic and chiefly Christological interpretation of the Bible to young children? And how do you do justice to God's Word without confusing your young audience? We endeavor to speak to these realities and remain true in our effort to show that Jesus is everywhere in your Bible, not just the New Testament. We also talk about the inception of Kyle's website, The Gospel Economist, and also a slew of books that are great resources recommended for budding young Bible teachers. I think you'll find this episode greatly encouraging. Today's show is brought to you by The Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, helping readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. Now, for Kyle Jones. Kyle George Jones, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing all right. Been up for a couple hours on this awesome Saturday meeting with you, but... I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. I've been wanting to do this for a couple of weeks now, and I'm glad it's come to fruition. Uh, many of our of my listeners probably aren't familiar with you, with your ministry, with what you're doing. So, in a few words, right off the bat, just kind of introduce yourself and introduce who Kyle uh, Jones is. That's a good. It's a good question. Uh, <laughs> one, Kyle George Jones is not good at talking about himself in the third person. <laughs> but uh, so uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father to a dog at the moment, <laughs> and uh, I'm currently a director of youth and family ministry at All Saints Lutheran Church in uh, Arlington, Texas, and I also happen to be the director of uh, the Gospel Economist. If you haven't had a chance to check us out, you can do so by going to medium.com with a lovely backslash the-gospel-economist. I know, super easy to kind of follow along and type in, but that's where we are. And that's the free, what's the free domain name they gave us. So that's what we're sticking with. <laughs> no, I would highly recommend anyone. We're going to talk about that soon. Uh, but the gospel economist is a great site, great blog to check out. Definitely do that. If you haven't and everything, all these things will be linked in the show notes too. So you don't have to worry about finding it. 
Um, right off the bat, though, I want to talk to you. Um, what led a Florida boy to Texas? Because I know that you're from uh, Pembroke Pines, which is kind of close to where I am. So what led you all the way out there, brother? Yeah, so uh, so I grew up in the Lutheran Church and uh, the branch of Lutheran Church, that, or the flavor, if you will, of the Lutheran Church that I grew up in is Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, sometimes abbreviated LCMS. Mm. Um, guys like RJ, Bill Brimer, those guys are LCMS guys. And mm. uh, to kind of do almost anything on a professional ministry level, you usually have to get training somewhere within <laughs> the LCMS. And they have an awesome system of universities called Concordia University System. And there's one in Texas, which is uh, Concordia University, Texas. There's one in Nebraska. There's one in uh, Chicago. There's one in Minnesota. There's one in California. There's one in New York. There, there's all over the country. There's one in Minnesota, if I didn't say that one already. That's another big one. And uh, so to do kind of anything, especially youth ministry related, like the best way to do it and to kind of get a call at one of those churches to be kind of not within their system because there's not necessarily a system, but to be qualified and trained and certified, you go to a Concordia, you go through a program that they have called the Director of Christian Education Program, and then you go out on an internship. And so Concordia, Texas was one that was uh, not in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> uh, had a similar climate to South Florida. It yeah. gets colder, but it also doesn't, it doesn't get too below freezing with no snow and lots of wind like it did in Seward, Nebraska, where the other Concordia was. <laughs> so I, I opted for Concordia, Texas, and uh, it was a good choice. That's awesome. Now, are you in the midst of your training right now? Um, no, I'm actually finished. So I did So I did five years at Concordia because while I was there, I decided, you know what? I don't want to do youth ministry anymore. Um, I'm going to do music ministry. And then I changed my mind a year after that because there was there was a lot of work involved that my I just didn't want to do at the time. But there's also through the director of Christian education program, you also have a specific emphasis that you can do, uh, like uh, maybe junior high ministry, camp or outdoor ministry, maybe theology wants to be your emphasis. But they also had one that was worship in the arts. And I played in bands, played at youth band kind of stuff growing up. And uh, so I decided to do that emphasis, and I can kind of get to somewhat the same place. A little less training on the musical side, but my year within the music musical education world was a fantastic and well worth it, especially. Mm, that's awesome. So, so I switched back. I did an internship with a church planning group in uh, Frisco, North Dallas area, which, which just ended up not being a good fit. So I took a year off of all that stuff and then did another internship at the church I'm at now. And then afterwards they offered to keep me on. And so here I am. Oh, that's awesome. I like hearing that just because uh, you never know how God is going to sort of lead you, especially when you're going to a Bible school. Uh, I went to a, a Bible college and <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing either. And so I kind of just switched my major a couple of times. So I had to stay on a little bit longer to finish. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting to look back and see how God is leading you and go, leading you down the road he would have you on. <laughs> um so uh, you interned in a church, and then you interned at All Saints Lutheran, and which is where you are now. So sort of talk about uh, uh, what led you there, and, but also what uh, kind of what you're doing there and all the things that you're involved with. Cool. So after my first internship didn't quite work out, I was also – I was 
I was working part-time for that church plant network. And then I uh, was also working part-time for Kroger, which is a grocery chain up here. So after my first internship kind of had to take a break and for a year or so at Kroger, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to church. All I had was whatever books school, and I had my Bible. And then the, the publishing arm of the LCMS is called the Concordia Publishing House. So good place for Lutheran specific resources. They uh, put out a, a version of Luther's small catechism called Luther's small catechism with explanations. So in the back, there's a ton of extra questions that would kind of come along with things related to the apostles creed and the Lord's prayer and baptism and communion and a whole bunch of different other things. And I kind of just spent time being with that. And I was working a ton and my wife was also working in retail. So it was a, a good time off, but they also spent a lot of money at school. My parents had spent a lot of money, and my wife was like, yeah, you are going to at least do your internship before before you decide whether or not you're going to continue doing church work stuff. <laughs> so I did that, and I happened to uh, get connected with this church that was right on halfway through the Metroplex away from us, and uh, their pastor had a similar road to me. He had done music ministry type stuff. He was a professional worship leader for 10 years in a couple of different places got burnt out, left, and then came back and to the church and became got a pastoral degree and was working at this church, and they needed somebody to come back and do youth ministry because we used to be, excuse me, we used to be a fairly larger congregation and through typical church stuff <laughs> that, uh, that changed, and so they had kind of gone down to volunteer-run youth ministry for probably four or five years and that person, his all of his kids were moving out of high school, and he was yeah. starting to feel a call towards adult ministry. And he's also a high-end professional uh, in his job at Southwest, so he was working 50, 60 hours a week, three kids, and then trying to run a youth ministry department. It was, uh, he was doing a great job for being a volunteer position, but it was about time for him to move away, and he was feeling it. So, And the church sure. was ready, I think, to move in a different direction. So what does a youth a director of youth and family ministry do? Well, I kind of handle large portions. Uh, sometimes the term we use at Concord is like cradle to grave kind of stuff. Where uh, So I don't necessarily do all of that, but I oversee children's ministry and teach when I need to teach. And I'll do children's messages and the Sunday morning service. And for some of our major, they, they fall under our outreach events, but big events like the trunk or treat type stuff. I'll, I don't organize those, but I help support them and the Easter extravaganza kind of stuff with the Easter egg hunts. And I don't do that. I don't organize it, but I support it and help provide anything I need to, including volunteers and whatever else we need to do. So I just kind of oversee children's ministry level stuff. And then uh, I work directly with our college students, our high school students. And then we kind of have, two branches of junior high ministry, which is cool. One of the things that Lutheran churches do is they have this thing called confirmation, which is kind of a, an intense two or three years, depending on your church that they go to. It's different than every Lutheran church of training for junior high students. And at the end of it, they pretty much choose whether or not they want to continue to be, in a sense, kind of Lutheran, but as a member of that church. So it's kind of like a way for students to become their own member. Cool at a church. 
And uh, at our church, those students get full voting rights as well at congregational meetings. When I was growing up, my church didn't do that, but every church is a little different in that sense. And so we have some awesome junior high leaders that I kind of help oversee and organize, and I'll teach when I need to teach or be there. But I teach confirmation specifically, and that pretty much just goes through Luther's small catechism, the various parts of it, what it means, what we believe about baptism and communion and confession and Apostles' Creed, Lord's Prayer, Ten Commandments, all that kind of stuff. And then we go through a year of the Bible with them as well. Mm, that's awesome. Now, I like to, one thing I want to touch on is you, you touched uh, or you, you said that you were teaching children and stuff like that. And I know for me, um, I've had opportunities to do the same. And I will say from my experience that teaching younger children often forces you to learn more than teaching adults just because I don't know about you, but I know for me, it's not that I've figured out preaching, but it's, it's natural to preach to people my own age or people even older because I can use different language. But when you're preaching to like, I used to preach or teach every Sunday to like fifth and sixth graders, you can't use the same language (laughs) and you really have to know your text almost more in order to be able to spell it out for them. Have you had this same sort of experience? Yeah, in a lot of different ways. Um, we have a guy who does children's uh, messages on Sunday. He's also, he works with our junior high kids. He was doing it long before I got there. Hmm. It's like one of his passions. He has yeah. a degree from uh, Lutheran Bible College, and uh, but he works in radio. So he he wants to commit his time in that way to serve the church. And he comes up with great analogies and connections to things things that I, he's much more skilled and experienced than I am in that way. But one of the things that made me better at it is that we have a preschool attached to our church. And so I do chapel for them. So I'll lead like a song. And then, then you kind of have to figure out, well, how am I supposed to teach uh, the healing of the paralytic or the healing of Jairus's daughter in a way that says, Jesus loves you in this, this forgives you. (laughs) You. So you kind of have to talk about how do you create, how do you connect these sometimes abstract concepts of being need to, needing to be healed from sin versus like a physical healing as well, since Jesus deals with those things together lots of times. And in this case, you can't like, no, Jesus is dealing with people holistically and little kids just. <laughs> yeah, it'll go over their head. <laughs> but, and I'm going to jump ahead a smidge, a super helpful book that I have found, and I can repeat this at the end as well for people, is uh, a book by a guy named Jack Klumpenhauer. And he's a a lay children's leader at, I forget where he's at, but he wrote a book called Showing Kids or Showing Them Jesus. And uh, it's all about how you can teach children Christ from the Bible. Mm. And it's easy to kind of do that in the New Testament, but how do you do that in the Old Testament stories, yeah. which are most of the stories kids are learning when they're that age? Yeah. How do you teach Christ from David and Goliath, Adam and Eve, uh, Jericho, all of these different things? But one of the other cool things that he does in that book is he takes all of kind of the questions that people put up as opposition to that. Well, our kids are saved, so why do they need to know about Jesus kind of stuff? We need to start talking about other things. Mm. Church kids need Jesus just as much as kids who don't know who Jesus is. And so that's one of the things that he advocates for. It's He comes up with awesome examples. He has a lot of training stuff that he puts into that book. I would recommend it for anybody mm. who's looking to do ministry on any level because it you can att- apply those same concepts and some of that same training to teaching uh, junior high kids 
high school kids, adults, kind of helps shift the paradigm of what, how you think about teaching. Mm, that's awesome. I, I like the sound of that just because a lot of the times our, sometimes our children ministries get into, and even some young adult ministries, they get into sort of like, you know, just make our kids better. Or here's just oh, yeah. a, a grace, or it's not even a grace field. It's just like a Christian daycare, so to speak. And mm-hmm. um, we don't end up teaching them about their Savior. We end up teaching them, you know, moral lessons from, you know, God's divine Aesop's fables. And <laughs> I don't yeah. know, not that I don't know. I just, I know for sure that that's not what God intended um, when he said, you know, train up your child in the way he should go. So, um, yeah, that's that's awesome. And I'm glad that you recommended that. Um, yeah, I'll definitely feel free to remind me at the end to repeat it for people so they can get it twice. Cause that, yeah, that book book is super great, and I would it's it's too good not to talk about more than once. <laughs> so um, when you're you said you were teaching mainly um, college students, now uh, kind of explain or talk about what your focus is there. Uh, Cause I know that, you know, college kids are going through a lot of different things and that's, that's a very important ministry to any church. Um, but just talk about that if you can. Yeah. So, uh, so all of our college students, well, and I use that word a little lightly. I try to call them young adults because only a couple of them are actually still in school. Several mm-hmm. of them have graduated and actually moved back home. They went to schools in other parts of Texas. And so now that they're home, they're like, hey, I want to do stuff because I grew up going to church, but I don't want to go to adult Bible study because those people are sometimes my parents, and I don't want to be in Bible study with my parents. <laughs> so some of them do show up. And so they they have a good Bible knowledge. Well, I would say that a lot of them have a, a decent Bible knowledge, but they have a lot of discipline in showing up to things because of their upbringing. So what I wanted to do was walk through parts of the Bible with them. So right now we've been you know, we've been going through the book of Luke since August, whenever we restarted over after the summer. So we're just taking it a chapter at a time, and we're just we're reading it. We're talking about stories that they've read a million times, like maybe the prodigal son. Like where is Jesus in that? Mm. Because there's been a real swing back in a good way to kind of putting Jesus at the center of Scripture again in all of the stories, including the parables, which sometimes we like to think are. How do I do better now? Now Jesus is telling me how I'm supposed to be good, so I gotta listen. Well, <laughs> Jesus is telling us how He's saving us, and sometimes exactly. there's good lessons, good life lessons in there as well. But there's a greater salvation life message within parables. For sure. So really, my goal with them is to get them to think about, especially parables and what Jesus is doing, and how what is Jesus like? Where is Jesus in this? Who represents who in this parable? And Look, reframing some of the stories that they know really, really well and reading stories that they haven't heard or that are really hard sayings of Jesus to uh, kind of reframe it around Christ's salvation message and kind of the purpose behind it and mm-hmm. put it in a greater perspective within Scripture. That's so important, too, because we can get caught up in reading the Bible and just reading it and putting ourselves in the center of it instead of, you know, as he said, sort of this almost like a, a revival of keeping Jesus at the center of, of, of reading the Bible. And that's really reformed the way, not in terms of reformed theology, but it's just really reformed the way I read the Bible, just co- approaching every passage with this idea of not how, how do I get better through this, but showing uh, how does this show me Jesus? And I think that'll really revolutionize the way you read the Bible. Yeah. And Lutherans have always 
tried to say that Christ is the purpose and center of the Bible and that if you try to do to look at scripture in any other way first you're going to miss it mm. but it's so easy for us to get lost in that kind of to put it in a theological term that law first reading because i mean the law is written on our hearts it's that way our brain thinks we're like all right god's telling me something i need to do it so i can be good so god can love me and so i can love my neighbor since god loves tells me to do that and then he'll love me even more because not only can i please him but i love my neighbor too Exactly. <laughs> it's this downward spiral of automatically thinking, what is this saying about me instead of what is this saying for me? And mm. since Christ is the center of Scripture, it's always saying Christ for you, mm. which is an important message that we miss. Very much so. Very much so. Now, you said earlier um, that you grew up in the Lutheran Church. Now, I will I'll say I'm a, um, I'm, a, I'm a friendly Baptist, and I love my Lutheran brothers, though. And uh, so just talk about growing up in the Lutheran faith because, well, I'll just tell you this. I'll, I've, I've told other guys I've had on the show before who are also Lutheran guys from, you know, a lot of the Christ Old Fast Network and stuff like that, um, that this whole thing that, that Lutherans have growing up, which is this law gospel distinction, which has sort of had such a revitalization in the last couple of years, at least for me, because – I wasn't as I wasn't familiar with it. It was it's like opening up my eyes to this new world of theology, and so uh, just talk about that um, if you can for a little bit. Yeah. So, so my my mom's side of the family is a uh, super German, and so that means that we're Lutheran <laughs> by default in a lot of ways. Yeah. So my mom grew up in the Lutheran Church, and uh, so that means that we were growing up in the Lutheran Church, and so. So I kind of did that. My dad was an elder at the church. My mom at one point became the temporary school secretary for the school of Testament church until they could find somebody else. And well, they never found anybody else. <laughs> so my mom just stayed working through that. And so, so we grew up in Lutheran church and then, so I did confirmation and kind of that stuff. And then the next logical step for me was kind of moving into Concordia level stuff and mm -hmm. It wasn't until I really I got into this this position that I'm at now to where I really started to think theologically. I don't know if it's just where my brain was or and I really thinking outside of a practical level. I learned great theological stuff at school because that's the point as well. But a lot of the programs also focus on on typical applicable hands-on training kind of stuff. How do you teach kids? We had to take classes that were related to child development and how you can think about counseling, at least on an introductory level when you're meeting with a student or took a lot of good training classes that were hands-on, very basic, kind of the day in, day out kind of stuff. And my brain, in my brain, that's easier stuff to latch onto. <laughs> how, do I, how do I teach, how do I put together a BBS? Like you do a class project with a couple of other classmates and you kind of put together a sample little program, present it to the class, hope you make it fun, hope you get an A. Yeah. And hands-on practical leadership stuff. Also good training on how to be, um, to use uh, the book title, Second Chair Leader, since a lot of youth leaders in churches, and in Lutheran churches, they're not ordained. So there's kind of sometimes, and especially in LCMS Lutheran churches, there is a, a little bit of a greater emphasis and a divide between ordained and not ordained, and not necessarily in what God is doing through them, but kind of in their, somewhat within their position within the church itself. 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of pastors are trained to be solo guys. They're trained to, in case they get to a call where it's like them and a part-time church secretary puts the bulletin together. <laughs> like, that's it. So they have to do everything. They have to do the children's message. They have to make sure that the sermon, they have to do hospital visits. They have to line up volunteers for whatever ministry that's actually there. But churches that are big enough to have a, a director of Christian education or a youth minister or, in my case, a director of youth and family ministry, whatever the title is you want to throw on it, they have to learn how to be really good second chair leaders. How do you support a senior pastor? How do you support other, maybe maybe your church has four pastors or three pastors. How do you support those guys or ladies? And mm. how do you land how do you land yourself in a support role as well while also trying to be a leader at the same time? And that's important too, because it changes the way you, um, it just changes the way you act and it changes the way you do ministry. When you know that you're not there to serve yourself, you're there to serve, you know, this quote unquote first chair, uh, pastor that that'll definitely change you. Um, now going back just a little bit, when did you, when did you really feel first feel God's call to ministry? Because uh, I too grew up in the church, and I think at first um, I was a little bit resistant to the call in my life, just because I was around it so much. I knew about the ministry so much that I almost didn't want to have a part of it uh, in some senses. But um, in the latter years of my college uh, eight days, it was definitely confirmed in me that. God uh, was leading me in that direction. So kind of um, hearken back to that if you can. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think the first time where I really felt like, you know what, I really want to do this was uh, when I was in high school. So when I was in junior high at my church, we uh, had a director of Christian education intern come from one of their Concordias. And uh, after her first year, they extended her a call and she stayed on and she really changed the way our church thought about youth ministry. Mm. And uh, so I went, I didn't really go to junior high regular weekly events, but I went to like the big youth conference things that we did every once in a while. So so I went through all of those and then I started really getting involved in high school and one of the cool things that my our youth leader did was she invited me as an eighth grader to our senior high group that met my mom was because they both worked for the school and the church and i was in church all the time she's like hey i want do you want to come so i was like sure i'll come i knew a bunch of those the the high school students because a lot of them had gone to middle school right in front of me and uh so i got i started going and getting involved but i also went kind of as a student leader type chaperone chaperone's a generous term but as a kind of a a youth leader as a senior high student on these junior high trips and i just watched these junior high kids you know they'd there'd be music and they'd get involved and they'd worship and then there's breakout events that they get to go to and speakers they get to listen to it's like you know i want kids to be able to experience some of this stuff that they have i want kids to be able to see jesus in this different way So from there, I kind of pretty much made up my mind that that's what I was going to do. So applied to Concordia, Texas. I didn't even visit the campus before I came. The first time I saw it was when I drove up to move in <laughs> in 2007. And from there, I uh, felt called, well, still feel called, even though I've hit some bumps along the way to just stay in it and some kind of ministry where 
sharing Jesus from scripture, whether it's with adults, college students, young adults, high school students, or junior high students. Children's ministry is not my greatest spiritual gift of all, but I certainly, I like teaching them and having fun with them, but I don't know, I don't know if I could do it full time. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> um, I totally get that. Now let's sort of shift gears just a little bit and let's talk about, I want to talk about this because this is what everyone wants to talk about. So let's talk about the gospel economist for a little bit because I don't even remember when I stumbled upon it and I'll share the story because I think I don't even know when you launched it or when it kind of got formed and you can talk about that in a second. But I've always, ever since I read that first piece, um, I've been so impressed with just uh, what you guys are doing and what the Gospel Economist is trying to do with this, your mission. So sort of uh, talk about how it came to be and like the story behind it and how um, you ended up launching it. And now you're getting a lot of readers, a lot of viewers, and which is good. But I think the mission of the Gospel Economist is what's really cool. So talk about that if you can. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I tried on and off for several years to write stuff, and I'd blog on a million different blog sites between Tumblr and WordPress and Blogger and a whole bunch of different things. And it's never really good at being consistent. It's never really good at figuring out what I wanted to write about. It's also a really crappy writer, to be honest. <laughs> I'm probably not much greater than I was then, but I, I like to at least believe that I've improved somewhat. Yeah, and you're being modest. You're being most modest, of those early, Most of those, if you went back and read those early ones, you would. <laughs> they would be appalled. I mean, they're they're not even, they were not even gospel centered enough to even count for gospel economist type stuff. <laughs> but so I stumbled upon, I forget how, but I stumbled upon this writing platform called Medium, which was actually started by one of the guys who started Twitter, uh, Ev Williams, and uh, this is really cool platform that kind of helps you. I mean, the goal was to kind of make things look really well so that you don't have to spend time designing what your blog or wherever you're going to write is going to look like. And you can just write. And it looks a little bit uniform, so you don't have to try and keep all of your standards the same or your formats. And you can just write and publish. And uh, so I started doing that in probably 2013, 2014. And I wrote an article that seemed to get some traction. And then... And then I tried to write again. I was running into the same problems. And I was like, man, I wish that I could just write with people. I've been following Christful Fast stuff for a while. And I was like, I just, I just want to write with other people as well. How can I do that? Well, Medium, at the, around that same time, started the this kind of add-on to their site called Publications. And the way the publications work is you start one, and you can have one by yourself, but it's got like a list of editors and a list of writers. And you just ask people, or, at, or you can even kind of just put people in and have them write for you. So they submit stuff to you, you can put it up, and it kind of, it's essentially a really easy way to collaborate with lots of different writers. Awesome editing tools, awesome uh, tools for being able to communicate with your writers as you're working together. And so I asked a couple of uh, people that I knew, a couple friends from college, and uh, Kelsey Clambera from Christ Hold Fast, who Doug Clambera lives in the Dallas area. I had known him from when I was up at the, the church job at the church planning network. He was at one of the other churches in that network at the time. And uh, I was like, Kelsey, Kelsey writes, I'll ask her 
I had met her once, briefly when I hung out with Doug over in Dallas. And I asked a couple other folks who I knew who were writing on their own blogs at the time as well. And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds cool. I think we could do that. Two of them had never been on Medium before. So I got them to join Medium somehow. And then started writing some stuff. And that was actually almost a year ago. So April 5th is kind of our one-year anniversary, which is coming up pretty quick. And so to celebrate that this year, we're actually going to put out an article every day, Monday through Saturday. Oh, so I'm awesome. excited to do that since right now we only put one out on uh, Wednesdays is our main weekly article. And then Saturday is our, we call it weekend edition. We'll get book reviews. Uh, we have a, leadership, a gospel leadership series going now by an awesome writer named Matt Tolander. I would check those out. And then other kind of stuff that's like, you know, if you want to write something that's 12 minutes worth of reading, we don't want to put it on a Wednesday, but we can certainly throw it in on a Saturday to mm -hmm. give people more time to read that kind of stuff. So definitely, I guess you could say it follows the, follows the NPR format where the weekly stuff is kind of a little bit more serious and the weekend stuff, they could spend time talking about sports in a more fun way and do movies and book reviews and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. so so we do that kind of stuff on the weekends and then uh, so Matt Tolander actually reached out to me after a little bit we had been going through the summer and he's like hey I really like what you're doing I had gone to college with him and uh, can I join you guys I was like sure he was already on medium so I just added him and, and then we kind of hit a wall because a bunch of us are in church ministry so that means in the summer that means mission trips uh youth gatherings, VBS, a whole bunch of craziness that goes on. So we kind of stalled out and we relaunched kind of again in October. And uh, from there, I had added a couple other writers, guys that I had met at some conferences and that I also knew. And so just kept finding a couple people. I asked Kathy uh, Strauch if she wanted to join us. She's also at Crestle Fest. She's fantastic. And so... From there, we kind of got a couple other writers, and we've just been trying to share what God's economy is. And that's, he gives us his son and Jesus' righteousness and takes our sin, which is an unfair exchange, mm. but it's a, it's a great exchange that God gives for us. And so we kind of want to spend time highlighting that part of it, because it's kind of the gospel that people talk about, but from that angle, we don't always think about it from an economics standpoint. And it's something that, I mean, I'm not a whiz in economics or anything, but it's easy to wrap your head around. We always talk about fair trading and free lunches, and there's no such thing as a free lunch. And all the gospel <laughs> is the only free lunch mm. that we have. And so that was kind of the goal was to find a place, especially on Medium, where there really, there is people writing about Jesus, but not I don't I haven't found anybody writing about it in the way that we are in a consistent way as well. There are yeah. some other publications out there, a lot of individual writers writing about their experience with the gospel and Jesus and culture and all that kind of stuff. But that, that was kind of my goal was how can we find this place on medium especially? Because I mean there's lots of there's a million great blogging Christian collectives that write like Christ Soul Fast and fifteen seventeen the Legacy Project and Higher Things and uh, naming really of just a bunch of Lutheran based <laughs> <laughs> blogging sites, but they're all about Christ and the gospel first mm -hmm. and how that relates to us in culture. Mm -hmm. And so that was the goal was to really remind people that God hasn't just 
wiped the slate clean and given us back an empty slate and said, all right, now here, don't mess it up this time. <laughs> drawn on it, everything that needs to be on there and said, hand it back without the marker and says, here you go. Everything's good. <laughs> so, No, that's awesome. And I love the idea behind the gospel economist because just the simple fact that God's economy is upside down from ours. And just what you were saying is that in God's economy, he gets the sin and then we get the salvation. Like that doesn't make sense that the person who is evil and vile and wicked would be made clean again. It should be the person who's doing good, right? Like that's how we normally think. But in the gospel economy, the sinner is made righteous and the person who thinks he's a saint, he goes away and he's not justified. Just like I think of the story, I think it's in Luke 18 of the uh, Pharisee and the publican. And that's what I always go back to a lot of the times because the sinner, the one who knows he's a sinner and God's economy is the one who is justified. So I love that idea. And I love that mission. And I will, I'm just going to, I'm just going to prop you up a little bit, Kyle, because one of one of my favorite pieces from the Gospel Economist is one you wrote a little while ago called On Wearing Jesus' Wounds, wow. which is where you um, you went into Genesis 27 and you talked of where, um, about where Jacob deceives his father um, and that whole story. And now I had heard that story a million times because I grew up in church. I was always in Sunday school. Sunday school as a Baptist is part of my DNA. It's just something that I do. <laughs> and so I knew that story and I had never really realized the rich and the deep um, gospel themes that were in that story. Um, the fact that Jacob is wearing his brother's wounds and, and as, as he does that, Jesus does the same thing for us and he goes before us. And so that we are made righteous and talk about that story and the gospel themes there, if you can, for a little bit. Yeah, so uh, one of the cool things that I love about the Old Testament is that Christ is always in the midst of it. I mean, mm. I have to—I can't take credit for making up these ideas on my own because Chad Bird is a brilliant Old Testament <laughs> Christ-centered theologian who expounds upon this and many of the things and the way that I've learned to think about the Old Testament has come from Chad and his work at Christ Little Fast and especially 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. And that's mm. kind of taken that stuff and thought about it in ways and books they haven't covered yet because they don't move as fast as I have to move <laughs> for 40 minutes in the Old Testament. But Chad talked about just this idea of how Jacob, I mean, how we are Jacob. Like if we try to put ourselves lots of times into scripture, but we always try to make ourselves the hero part of scripture. I mean, David and Goliath is a good example. It's like, all right, how can you be David? Which Goliath do you have to slay? When in reality, I mean, we're there in that story. And I say that hesitantly because it's dangerous to just throw ourselves into scripture, but we're the Israelites chattering in the background, yeah. scared, worried. Like we have to put ourselves into the sinners of the Bible, not into the heroes, so to speak, even though most of all of those heroes are sinners, except for Christ. <laughs> And Jacob, I mean, he, he's just despicable in this story. I mean, this some of some of the lowest of the low parts in Jacob's story. And this is the guy that God has chosen to be the one who carries on the promise. Not Esau, who does everything is dead and mom want, except for Esau's marriage to women who are not of the family line, so to speak. And uh, and. 
Christ is Esau in this story, and we switch places, and we get all the benefit. I mean, Esau comes in and is like, Dad, don't you have a blessing for me? And Jacob's like, mm, sorry. You get what you get. And what he, and he, the words that he gives them, are they're not good sounding at all. They're, you're going to serve your brother. You're going to have problems. You're going to be defeated by him. Like, your family lines are not going to be as good as his. Just all this, it's a, it's a curse, really. It's not really a blessing. And, of course, Esau's all mad, but that's how it works with Christ. I mean, he gets all of our garbage. Mm. He gets our filth and our sin, and we get all of his goodness, all of the blessings that he gets. And then we get to wear his wounds as if we paid for them, mm. as if we paid for our sins ourselves. We wear I mean, we, even though our voice is ours, we smell like Christ, just mm. as Jacob's voice was still his, but he smelt and felt like Esau in that story. And that's, that kind of stuff is all over scripture, and especially those Old Testament stories in Genesis and Exodus, where you have lots of narrative stuff going on. I mean, God is just using these events to share the gospel with us in a way that doesn't always seem apparent when we think about it from a moral perspective. Mm-hmm. And picturing it in that way, it really just makes it so vivid, the facts that Jesus is doing this for you. He's not doing this so that you can do something else in order to get, you know, get this or whatever. He's doing it on your behalf. He's literally taking your place. So that way you don't have to ever, um, you know, you, you don't ever have to be turned away from God. He's being turned away from the Father for you. And, uh, man, I just, I loved that picture and I love that message because that really shows, I think, the true freedom, the radical freedom, the, again, the upside down gospel economy freedom of what he has done for us on the cross. Oh, yeah. And we have to... Remember, especially anybody in a ministry position who's sharing the gospel, we have to remember to share. We have to, how do I want to phrase this? We want to not just talk about the gospel, but share the actual gospel. And what I mean by that is a lot of times it's easy. Like I can tell students when I'm talking about them, things that Jesus has done in history. I mean, historical things like Jesus did this and he did that and he died and he rose again. And we can talk about that kind of stuff all the time. But if you don't ever add that phrase for you Mm. or for us, then it's just amorphous. It's kind of, it's it lands theoretical history. Like how does George Washington cross the, the Delaware river? How, like, how is that important to me historically? Mm. Like without anything connected to it for how it affects you, it, it's useless almost. It's just a fact mm-hmm. of life. And okay, but Jesus dying for you is much bigger. And Paul in Galatians uses this phrase a couple of times where he talks about how Jesus became a curse and bore the curse and he uses the phrase for you. Mm. And uh, Luther's uh, commentary on Galatians, which is fantastic. And I will plug RJ's uh, condensed version of it. So if you haven't had a chance to go, Find R.J. Grunewald's condensed version of Luther's uh, uh, catechism, (laughs) Luther's commentary on Galatians. Go out and get it because it's worth it's worth your time looking through this book. Definitely recommend. And and he uh, in in his commentary he he does a really good job of pointing out things Paul doesn't say 
But you're like, wait, I never thought that Paul wasn't saying that. So he says that Paul, that Jesus did not become a curse for himself, but that the accent is on the, the for those two words for us. Mm. Like he became a curse, not just because, or because he was trying to show something to God himself, but for us, for our sake, for our sins, all of this us stuff, which is the direction God is always pointing and pointing back to himself because if God is going to do anything for us, it's got to be perfect and righteous. And so by pointing his love at us, we see how great his love is and how perfect it is for us and how much it really covers. And yeah. Jesus' love covers all of that stuff for us. And Luther points out all of these things in Galatians through his commentary, where he's talking about how right at the beginning of uh, the letter where Paul says, grace and peace to you from God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who, I'm just going to look it up so I don't put your scripture. <laughs> All right, where are you here? Normally I can find this much faster. Oh, it's fine. All right, grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of of our God and Father. So Luther again stands out and he says, Christ gave himself, so he didn't give gold or silver, he didn't give uh, some other kind of offering, he didn't make a typical, the traditional Jewish sacrifice as if he was the high priest in the temple, though Christ is the great high priest and makes the ultimate sacrifice as the lamb himself as well. Jesus gives himself but Luther points out that he doesn't give himself for our good works or for some inner goodness we think we possess, but for our sins, for our crap, for all of the nonsense that we kind of like. Jesus came for that. There's a story in the book of Luke where Jesus is talking to, I think he's talking to some Pharisees, and he's talking about where he says, give from alms those things that are within and everything will be made clean for you. So as you're offering, give the things that are within. Well, in Mark, Jesus tells us that everything that causes us to sin comes from within. Deceitfulness, every sexual sin imaginable, lying, theft, murder, adultery, hatred, like all of these things. Like it's a big list of that comes from us. And Jesus is telling us to give him that stuff. Like you want that stuff and everything will be clean for us? And he's like, yes, that's what I want. <laughs> That's what I need from you. I don't want any of your goodness that you think you have. Give me your garbage. I'll take it out for you. You won't have to mess with it again. And in, ter and in return, I will give you the greatest gift. That can't be undone. Mm. So, mm, That's some good stuff, man. That is some really good stuff. And I love that like, that right there is... It's not only the mission of the gospel economist, it's really, that's the foundation of the gospel itself. And I would really say if that's lost, then the gospel is lost. And if yeah. we lose that sense of, of substitution, then we really have lost the whole point of the whole, of the whole thing anyways. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's some good stuff. Um, now, um, in light of that, you know, for guys who are trying to read more um, about 
this whole thing. Obviously, they should go to their scriptures if they want to read about God's law and God's gospel. But also, if there's other places that they should go, what what are some books that you would recommend if guys are looking to get into this very Christocentric view of scripture or this very law gospel sort of distinction uh, in the Bible? Um, what are some other books that um, you would recommend or maybe that have just impacted you over the last couple years or more months or so? Indeed. So I was kind of putting this a list of these types of books together, kind of divided it into <laughs> kind of personal impact slash theological impact versus kind of a professional impact. So I'll start with, the, let's do the personal theological ones first. So one of the ones that as soon as I, that I had gotten in college as a secondary source recommended reading, which I didn't read at the time because I was too lazy to do so, <laughs> was the, kind of an abridged version of uh, CFW Walther's The Proper Distinction mm. Between Law and God. Mm-hmm. I think it might be out of print, but you might be able to find it. So it's called God's No and God's Yes. So it covers all the theses, but it's not as dense as the original one. It's kind of abridged that can introduce you to what's going on within it. It's a little bit, it's a little less daunting when you start. But I read that and it like, poof, my mind changed from reading that book. And it was really early on when I got to All Saints. So probably early 2000, mid 2014, I started in June of 2014. And so from there, my brain was really just shifted around and so that so that book is worth worth your time another great book if you're looking to kind of land try and find christ in the old testament is a book called jesus on every page by david murray now he there are some times where he overstates his case a little bit in certain parts but the book is still a great way to think about christ in the old testament he does it a little bit more thematically than just kind of like, here's where Jesus is in Genesis. Here's where Jesus is in Exodus. It's more of a, where do you find Jesus in creation? Where do you find Jesus in the law? Where do you find Jesus in prophecy and poetry and all these different kinds of things that exist? Or where do you find Jesus in covenants? There's tons of covenant promises all over the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Where is Jesus in those? How does that land and work out? And we had done that as with an adult group that I helped team teach and they didn't agree with everything he said in the book, but they they loved being able to think about it in a different way. Since most of them had grown up hearing a lot of these Bible stories, that we got to spend some time really deconstructing some of them and talking about what they mean. So that book is fantastic. Another book that I would highly recommend is, uh, and this one's going to get kind of theologically nerdy, is Philip Melanchthon's Lochi Communis from 1521. Mm-hmm. So... You can find that at CPH if you're looking for it. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Philip Melanchthon is, he was a early, he was one of the, the major reformers in the Lutheran Reformation. He was kind of Luther's sidekick, if you will. But he was immensely gifted in languages. And he and Luther kind of partnered together really well. And many people know who Martin Luther is, but a lot of people don't know who Philip Melanchthon is. And for Lutherans, you've all been affected by Philip Melanchthon because he wrote the major confessional document that most Lutheran churches land on by default, and that's the Augsburg Confession. Yeah. And Melanchthon authored that as well as the several other things within the Book of Concord, which kind of come together to make a tire, an entire body of the Lutheran confessions, which includes Luther's small catechism and his large catechism. 
as well as a defense of the Augsburg Confession, which Melanchthon also put together. And so he wrote uh, this uh, Loci Communis, so kind of common topics. Uh, he wrote the first one that kind of got published in a big way in 1521. And uh, that one, so it's a little bit smaller, it's a little bit easier to read, takes a little bit to work through, but it's it's a systematic theology, one of the first, if not the first Lutheran systematic theology. What do we talk about when we say sin? What do we talk about when we say law and gospel? And what do we mean when we say predestination? And what do we say when we mean this and that? So it's, it takes things topically yeah. as opposed to just going through on a book-by-book basis kind of stuff. Sure. And Luther loved Melanchthon's Lodge. It was... He used a way of organizing, which Lochi is, is a, the Lochi method is just a way of organizing things when we're trying to explain them and talk about them. And so if you really want to get into it, Melanchthon had, I mean, he's Scott Keith from the Thinking Fellows is a great Melanchthon, theolo, uh, not theologian, but a Melanchthon scholar. And uh, a lot of stuff that I've learned about Melanchthon comes from him. But Melanchthon is a constant tinkerer with all of his stuff. So he's always editing and revising. So there's like, three major seminal sign signposts of the Lochi. The last one comes in 1559, I think, mm. but there's one in 1535. And in between there's like 40 different versions that don't make it to major printing left today. <laughs> but he's just constantly revising and re-editing and rewording and making things just the right way, which was his style. But so Philip Melanchthon's uh, Lochi Communis from 1521 is worth worth your time as well if you're trying to, especially from a Lutheran perspective, if that's what you're looking for. But you also, I mean, there's good things about law, gospel, sin, and grace in there. If not, he doesn't spend as much time talking about sacraments, which is, I know, sometimes the major difference between Lutherans and the traditionally Reformed denominations, that kind of stuff. And I know there's also a spectrum as well on that. But he doesn't spend a lot of time delving into all of the details on those like Luther does in the, in the large catechism, since that's what Luther's primary goal is, is to teach sacraments in a way that everybody can understand. But that's what I would I would lean on as well. And then another book that changed the way I think theologically about things is actually the paper that was turned into a book called uh, Proclamation and Praise, um, colon Hebrews, to 12 and the Christology of Worship. It was by a professor, Dr. Mann, named Ron Mann. And uh, he kind of takes this passage from Hebrews 2.12, which is a quote from Psalm 22, which is a, a massive uh, Christological, Christocentric psalm. And in the middle of that psalm, there's all of a sudden this switch. So at the beginning of the psalm, you start with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, we've all heard those words somewhere before. Well, Jesus said them on the cross. Well, David said them years and years and years earlier in Psalm 22. So Jesus is quoting from the psalm. He's making people look at it, think about it, and remember it when he's quoting it. And in the middle, there's this switch where he says, and I will tell of your name to, uh, I will speak to the congregation, I'll speak your name to the brothers. And Jesus is leading our worship. And he spends a lot of time talking about that in that in that book. It as a sometimes worship leader, it changed the way that I think about worship. It changed 
things into performance-based to what is Christ doing here, as opposed to how am I making sure the Holy Spirit shows up at worship? <laughs> it's how is Jesus perfecting our already not so great worship? Mm-hmm. We're either distracted or thinking selfishly about it. I don't yeah. like this song. It's too old and cheesy. I can't worship God with it. <laughs> like, well, how is Jesus perfecting that kind of worship that we're giving him? Mm. So that's definitely worth your time to think about kind of re- just reshifting because I've taken that kind of thought process. And where is Jesus doing that in all of our ministry as well? He's obviously not just doing it in worship, even though worship is a massive component of ministry. But how is he doing it in youth ministry, in children's ministry, in it's all that kind of stuff? So that was worth it. And then uh, the last book kind of on a personal theological level was Everyday Grace by Jessica Thompson. The book is fantastic. I mean, Jessica's just so great at thinking about how the gospel factors into relationships in a real practical everyday way. And not how can you be a better friend, but how can the gospel mend friendships that are usually broken by being a better, trying to be a better person (laughs) and getting people to think about what it means to be the gospel within a friendship as Mm. opposed to being God within a friendship, which is much harder to do. (laughs) Yeah, I read a ton of books, so I have a longer list this time around. It's I spent a lot of time trying to just read through a bunch of different things and pull from them what I need and explore areas of interest. So let's move on to the professional impact, the professionally impact. Sure. Impact books. Um, so we talked about Show Them Jesus, again, by Jack Klumpenhauer. I mean, applicable for ministry and teaching anybody scripture with Jesus at the center. And then another good book on that same line, which is aimed more for junior high and high school students, is a book by Rick Lawrence called Jesus-Centered Youth Ministry. And one of the awesome things, two books especially, for non-Lutherans or for Lutherans, is that neither of these guys have Lutheran or sacramental backgrounds. So they're guys kind of outside that are speaking about the same things Lutherans have been talking about for a long time, but might not have put into words very well or put into practical application. Because it seems to be newer for these guys with outside outside the Lutheran church, there's a little bit more zeal for it. <laughs> Instead of saying, see, we've been saying this all along. They're like, ah, have you seen this new thing? Mm-hmm. Which is not really new. And uh, Rick Lawrence points to that. He leans a bit on uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was talking about making a beeline to the gospel. And I think you were talking about it in another interview you did where he talks about pick your text and beeline straight to Christ. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, Rick Lawrence talks about kind of shifting away from Jesus plus ministry, which is, all right, we, we talked about Jesus. So now how can we talk about relationships and being a good student or being a faithful Christian? Like, well, let's get back to making sure that we're talking about Jesus. These other things aren't bad and they can be useful life lessons, but life lessons come from everywhere. And if they're only getting life lessons in, at youth night, then why bother coming? Hmm. Life lessons are not good news. They're helpful. They're not good news. Oh, and one more thing I have to do. I have to be a good student. I have to be a good child. I have to be a good sibling. And I have to be a good Christian. Hmm. Forget this. I'll just stay home. Video games. 
hang out with my friends, going to the movies. Those are more fun than sitting around on old couches in a smelly room with bad paint, the messed up carpet, subrate furniture and technology. I'm talking about Jesus. <laughs> if all I'm going to do is learn how to be a better person. Mm. I, I have Google for that. So how do we talk about Jesus centered as opposed to Jesus plus kind of stuff? Mm. Another great book for people who might have got burnt out on a leadership level, which this book I read kind of when I my first internship went downhill was a book by Lance Ford called Unleader. That's UN Leader. Unleader. And he kind of talks about shifting the paradigm away from a leadership style that puts leaders and pastors above this idea of people who serve. And he kind of really attacks that term servant leader a bit in that book in a healthy way. Because a lot of time we talk about servant leader and they really just mean leadership that does things that we think are best for everybody without ever serving people that might actually need it. Mm. And so it was a great way to think about leadership because I had done a lot of leadership training and Cordy was no slouch on teaching us how to be leaders and how to think about leadership. But that book was worth thinking about how Jesus is really a leader. He's not the guy who comes in and makes willful proclamations and then walks out the door. He's the guy who comes in and washes your feet. And the guy who says, you have heard it said, or the Gentiles do it, uh, do leadership this way, where they lord it over people and they oppress people. But that is not who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be servants like I am. And Jesus continually gives those examples. Mm -hmm. And so that was a worthwhile book in a time when I really needed it. Hmm. And then I know there's a, I got two more books that I think are worth people's time. And these are for the stereotypical youth leaders or youth ministers who also do music <laughs> because apparently every youth leader knows how to play the guitar or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a book, uh, if you're looking at kind of a, the history of church worship is a book called uh, Tedeum, uh, T-E-D-E-U-M, two words. And it's by a guy named Paul Westermeyer. And he traces the church in a very effective way. And so it's a little dated in that it doesn't have a lot of the most recent shift away from, I guess, I don't know, into this indie style of worship that we've come into based on the style of music that's changed a bit. But really the big themes of that book are where are times where the congregation has no longer become engaged in worship? Where is it become, listen to the choir, listen to the praise band, <laughs> listen to these other people lead us in worship while the people in the pews just sit there and watch as opposed to participate. Just super helpful way to think about ministry in general when you're talking with people and also especially worship. If you have guys who are leading youth worship on as part of their job, like how many songs am I doing where nobody's singing? Oh, why is nobody singing? Did I teach it well enough? Is the key wrong? Is, is the song just not theologically accurate? And so people don't relate to it. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Mm. And another book in that same vein is Ancient Ancient Future Worship by Robert Weber. And Robert Weber is a big uh, academic writing on worship, but that book is talking about thinking about God's narrative in worship. All of the aspects of God's narrative, creation. Uh, and really, he kind of takes humanity kind of out of the center of it. Sometimes we like to put humanity where it's like, God creates, we screw up, Jesus redeems. Instead, he's talking about how 
God creates, God redeems, and God restores at the end. So how do we talk about God's creating us, God's redeeming of us in Christ, and then God's promise to bring us back to full restoration, Hmm. new heaven, new earth, all that kind of eschatological, if you want the big (laughs) fancy word in there. Like, how do we, how do we incorporate all of those things into worship? And I think you can relate some of that stuff to specific ministry as well. Sometimes we only talk about Jesus redeeming us, which is super important and should be the gateway into all of these other parts. And we start with Jesus and then move into Jesus in creation and Jesus into restoration. But if we leave out one of those, then sometimes our our purpose and meaning in life can get a little lost. Mm. Yeah, I think that's all the books I have. Um, there's a million more. Don't be afraid <laughs> to hit me up if you need another list. Yeah, I'll come to you when I need a list of good books to read. These I got a lot that I'm going to write down and make sure I get out and uh, read. <laughs> um. But thank you for that. That's going to be a good resource for the people who might be listening. But uh, sort of as we bring this conversation to a close, let's sort of circle back because, as you may or may not know, this this um, the Majesty's Men, which is what hosts this this podcast. They we are just in a nutshell, we're just a collective, sort of like the Gospel Economist, of just young guys that want to reach other young guys with the gospel of Jesus Christ and disciple them and bring them into a greater and deeper love in which they will go out and, and make other disciples for uh, the name of Jesus. And thinking about that aspect, um, if you were given sort of like, this is like the time to give your, your best advice, quote unquote, if you're given an audience of young men, um, an audience of, of young guys in high school or college, you were allowed to say one thing to them. What would that one thing be? But one thing, to make it super simple to start, without a chance to elaborate, would be that Christ died for you as the youth minister also, for the person going into ministry. Mm. Christ's perfection is yours as well, because so many times in youth ministry we can get, or in any kind of ministry, we get, we get, feel like we're just continually getting run over, and that we're not quite good enough. And that, wow, this lesson didn't go well, or nobody paid attention when I was doing this part of the sermon, or I really bombed that teaching opportunity that I had because I got off on this tangent about how something didn't matter to the story that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But Christ's love and mercy and grace, especially, are for you. They're given to you. Mm. And the more we can remember that, the more we can die to ourselves and be raised again in Christ's righteousness and remember that he is doing this work and we are joining with him, the more it is that we can teach people and share people about that gospel and not a gospel of moral improvement or a gospel of behavior modification or one that kind of muddles the two where the distinction between law and gospel is lost. And so it just becomes bait and switch Christianity. Mm, that's that's good it keeps it centered and keeps it focused it keeps the main thing the main thing which is christ for you in place of you on your behalf that's so important and you're right a lot of the times we can as a as a youth minister we can get caught up well not just youth ministers any minister can get caught up in all the peripheral things and you can get caught up thinking 
all the other things that cloud their minds. But the gospel is not just for lost people. The gospel is for sinners and ministers are sinners too. (laughs) And, uh, they need it just as much as, you know, Joe Schmo down the street. So that's a, that's a very good message. Um, I don't want to uh, sort of mess up that vibe. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, Kyle. Um, I hope that we get to do this again and we can talk more about this. Um, I think this was this was really informative for me and this was really fun for me. So I'm glad you uh, had the time to do this. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I hope that we get to do it again. And I love the stuff that you guys are doing, especially in ministry-minded. Some awesome conversations are happening with some really great forward Christ-centered theologians. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I hope we get to meet someday. And uh, I pray that God will continue to bless you and your ministry in Texas. Likewise. And thanks again to Kyle for taking the time to come on the show today. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and go check out the site, The Gospel Economist. You can find all those links, of course, in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening along and and staying with me. If you like what you just heard, be sure to follow the show on Twitter. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes and on SoundCloud. And thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show. And thank you, as always, for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.